0: Thank you. God bless you and be seated. When we think about World War II, one of the greatest uh, events that takes place that typically will come back to our mind was December 7th, which was the bombing of Pearl Harbor, which was the onset uh, of America getting involved. But there were two other very, very important days that took place. One of these days was on August 3rd of 1943, and the other one was August 10th of 1943. One of the greatest generals that America has had was George Patton. He carried many titles, had many stories that followed him. But as history has shown in interviews taken throughout the years, he was simply a man. He was a man that when he was going into his military career and moving up through uh, his education and into Becoming an officer, that one of the things that General Patton had was a fear. He was afraid that in the moment of battle that he would fail. Even though he obviously surpassed that, it was something that drove him. Him personally. It was something that just drove him as a person. On August the 3rd in 1943... Patton, which was one that would visit the hospitals and see the wounded, that he went to the 15th evacuation hospital and he found a soldier sitting on a supply crate. Well, Patton being who he was, he just walked up to him and simply asked him, he said, what's wrong? This man was a private. His name was Charles Cool. And the private responded and simply says, I just can't take it. Talking about the battle. So, General Patton, being who he was, he instantly got frustrated and angry. As one of the stories goes, he took his gloves and he slapped the soldier and basically said a few other things. Called him worthless. You need to get back on the front line and serve. Ten days later, he had a a similar encounter, different hospital, different person, a private Bennett. When the general saw him sitting on his bed, he simply asked him, he said, well, what's wrong with you? The private responded and said, it's my nerves. Well, his response, the general's response at this time was a little bit more aggressive than the first time. So then the general staff had ordered him to make public and private apologies to private, to these privates and one public apology to his command. It was later reported by Private Cool about when Patton came out in 1970, y'all remember that? Anybody ever seen that movie? Yes. That they, after the movie came out, they did an interview with Private, and they asked him about that incident. And this is simply what he said. He said, he didn't know that I was sick as I was. But he, he continued on to finish this statement out, and he said that I think at the time it happened that the general was pretty wore out himself. I said all that to say this, the title of the message today is simply, What Makes a Great Nation? And that answer is simply, Godly People. The text that I have this morning, and I want to read it to you, and I'm going to do an overview, and then we're going to Psalm chapter 33, so if you want to take your copy of God's Word and go ahead and go there. We're going to start in verse 10. The text that I want to start out with this morning is found in the book of Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. And that verse simply says this. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Father, we love you and we thank you. What a blessed hope and what a heavenly mercy by which we live our lives. We thank you for the hope that you have instilled in our minds and our hearts by Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for our individual lives, but yet our lives together as family, as those that live in the same community. Father, for those as we've been conjoined together, Father, we thank you that we can be and find in our minds and our hearts that we can be simply agreed. Father, I pray that you would take this message this morning as you have impressed it upon my heart. I pray it's a blessing to each of those that would hear. We love you for what you have done, for what you will yet do, and for what, most of all, yet you have completed. Help us from this day forward, Father, to not look to the future for the blessings of God, but help us to see the past, to acknowledge the blessings of God. Help us to live within you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I wanted to give you this morning just a quick overview in relation to Amos chapter 3. Don't turn there because there's no need to. I'm just going to give you an overview. And I want you to pay attention to this overview as an individual person, as a family member, and also as a nation. The text, the verse that I read in chapter 3, verse 3 of the book of Amos, says simply that can two people walk together if they're not agreed? This word agreed just simply means that there's an appointment that has been made and that there has been an agreement that has been made. The prophet Amos is coming to Israel at this time and he's, he's bringing a judgment upon the people. And I'm going to explain this again. It's going to be just a quick overview, but he's come by the power and the direction of Almighty God to speak to the people of Israel, to all 12 tribes, not just the northern 10 tribes, but all of the tribes of Jacob and all of Israel. He is speaking to every one of them. I love that part of the story, because when we think about that, sometimes that even though we live in the same nation, we think that we are yet an island to ourselves. We think that our own opinions mean something to us, and whether it means anything to anybody else, it doesn't matter. And we simply think that we can govern ourselves, but we know that that's not the way that life works. As we see two people walking together, as we see here that God in the nation by which he loves the nation, obviously through history and through studying the Old Testament, that Israel was always walking away from God. Periodically would walk toward him, but then usually when they came back, it wasn't too long, and they was walking away again. This overview I want to give you, I hope it's a blessing to you, and I want you to listen to this. In Amos chapter 3, verses 1 to or or verses 1 to chapter 6, verse 14. This is why this is a big overview. That Jacob's judgment, Israel's judgment, was equal to her past privileges. Hmm. Now, America needs to hear that as much as we think that God is blessed and he certainly has blessed the same amount of judgment will come. Amos 3, verse 7 says God issues again this, this stern warning to all of the 12 tribes. Verse 9 of chapter 3, Jacob's enemies are called upon to attest to her wickedness. And just listen to what was going on. Her women had become cruel and demanding, chapter 4. Her formal and empty religious ceremonies had become an insult to God's divine holiness. Ooh. They had surrounded themselves with gross luxury and ivory beds and the choicest of foods. And their life was consumed about the materialisms of this life instead of the righteousness through God. They thought more of the worldly music than their own Messiah. Amen. They drunk wine by the bucketfuls. They perfumed themselves with sweet ointment and totally neglected the poor. In chapter 4, verses 6 to 13, God tried to bring them back to their senses, but Israel refused. Their Savior would now be their judge. In verse 12 of that text, Therefore, thus will I do unto you, the Lord God says, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Now, did you see why I said look at this as an individual and as a nation, and as a family? Think about what it is and where we are at. I'm just talking about just individually. In chapter 5, verses 4 to 15, this is a very quick overview. One final invitation. I love this. One final invitation is extended by God. And He simply says, Seek Him who maketh the stars and turneth the shadows of darkness into morning maketh the day dark with night that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. And the Lord is His name. This is this great cry of, of... of amos that he is crying out and even yet though and how many times through the old testament have we seen this where god pours out judgment he proclaims judgment he wants to give judgment but there always seems to be that one last hope where god reaches out by the old testament prophets and the old testament wisdom and yet brings about the one more chance I love that. I love that about the Old Testament stories, because even when God says judgment is here, read throughout the Old Testament, get into the Old Testament. If you're a New Testament Christian, be an Old Testament Christian. You want to know the New Testament, get into the Old Testament. You learn the Old Testament, you'll understand the New Testament. And get into the Word of God. But Amos here, he brings about this this huge cry and this last invitation of righteousness to the people of God and to us here today. But yet it's normal. The invitation was rejected and judgment would finally come. Now listen to these judgments as we move on. Jacob, Israel would become as a lion devours the sheep. They would be crying in the streets and every road. Everybody's mourning. In that day, they would be like a man. Now listen to this. I love this. They would be like a man who escaped from a lion out of a, out of a lion's mouth to only meet a bear. You getting that? They would be as one who leans against a wall in a dark room. Hollywood has shown this and put his hands upon a snake. We think we can go and hide. We can't hide. And 90% of the soldiers would fall in battle. This last thing before I get into Psalm 33, I just want to give to you what the Lord laid on my heart this week. History has proven that people make up a nation. Do you believe that? This is one nation that has come together by people. The state of that nation, nation cannot be praised or ridiculed by the politics or the politicians that govern it, but by the hands and the hearts of its people alone. Did you hear what it said? Let me read that again. The state, the condition of that nation cannot be praised or ridiculed by the politics or the politicians that govern it, but by the hands and the hearts of the people alone families are just like a nation families are governed by the desires and attitudes of the patriarchs y'all know what the patriarchs are some of the patriarchs of families are still alive they still remain and yet there are some of our patriarchs that have went before us don't ever forget what they taught us and what they taught you patriarchs are very informative they are very they're very patriotic to our mere essence of who we are not only as americans but most of all as christians how many times have we seen patriarchs die and go to their heavenly reward, and yet the families left behind would just diminish and fall apart? Yeah. Don't do that. Learn from what they have given. These families that are formed by these patriarchs do not follow uh, the wisdom of those that have gone before them, but yet they then an inclusive. Listen, when they do not pay attention to the patriarchs and the teaching and the education and the godliness and the righteousness, when we do not follow their leadership, even after they have stepped out into glory, that there is an inclusive or a worldly attitude that will govern the family and the worldliness will soon become its governing rule. Simply when your moms and your dads and your grandparents that are saved in Jesus Christ stepped out into their heavenly reward. Don't fall apart just because they're not here. Carry the torch of righteousness on just as if they was here.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Lastly, when you change your heart, listen to me, Christians, when you change your heart, you change a home. Amen. Amen. When you change a home, you change a community. When you change a community, you change a state. When you change a state, you change a nation. And when you change a nation, you influence the world. Are you getting that? Psalm 33, starting in verse 10. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? My wife and I can live together, but if we're not agreed, that's all we're going to do. There's a lack of communication or a breakdown of communication or no communication at all. If me and my wife together with our children, if there's a breakdown, then there's no two walking together, and yet there's no group being, being able to follow one another. The world today says, well, where's individuality? Where is it? Why do I have to follow this? Why do I have to follow that? If what you're being taught and trained as a child early in life follows the governing rules of the Word of God, you're not following your parents first. You're following the Word of God, which means you're following God and Jesus Christ Himself. If we find ourselves that we are walking together, and I bring this up, it's because the cataclysmic breakdown of any nation, it doesn't matter which nation, but of any nation is that of the family. When we look back just in America since March of this year, and I was reading up on one of the uh, uh, domestic violence surveys that had taken place when America first started walking into this pandemic and all the shutdowns and everything was happening. And there were so many domestic groups that had overstaffed themselves. Now, just listen to me for just a second. this will make a lot of sense as we move forward in the text. That so many of these groups had hired so many people because they thought that it was going to be overwhelming. And it was, actually. Just talking to the local law enforcement here, they was telling me, I mean, domestics the just they tripled in a matter of weeks. So these groups were very surprised at the onset of all this. And they said, man, it was crazy because we thought that, you know, the number of intervention, telephone intervention initially was going to absolutely explode. And it turned out that it dropped by 50 percent. So the lost world would look at this and use it for their own benefit and would say, well, wait a minute. See, this is working. (coughs) Jeremy, this is working. Well, no, it's not working because what happened in the next several months as they continued to do in-person uh, visits with people that they already knew that had been people that had called into, into their particular groups and was trying to seek out some type of help for this, that because the husband and wife were living in the same house, the, whether it was the wife or whether it was the husband that was being abused, they couldn't get on the phone to make a phone call because the other person was there. I thought that was very interesting as I'm reading and I went to several different groups that that actually help in domestic violence and I thought, you know, how indicative of that is life? We, We look at something and we perceive that one thing is right, but yet ultimately when you get deeper into it, everything is absolutely wrong. If two people cannot live together in compatibility by grace and love, then how in the world can they do anything for Jesus Christ? I heard, I talked to a brother a good friend of mine yesterday that, that lives in Florida. And he told me, and he's not even a pastor. He's a Christian, but he's not even a pastor. And he said, brother, he said, it is amazing at how the wonderful opportunities there is right now in America in November to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be able to witness to people, to tell people about Christ, to show love, to show compassion, to live out the commandments of grace that Christ has died and given for. Isn't it wonderful that right now, the American country, the world that we live in itself, and the nation that we we take so much pride in, there are so many people that are hurting and they're trying to cry out and they don't know how to cry out. And we as the true Christians of faith in Christ and Christ alone, we are the ones ones that's supposed to be reaching them but yet if the church and God is not together then we cannot walk in one accord programs does not save people church attendance does not save people bringing people into the church alone and trying to reach them in one capacity, you're only going to reach those in that capacity. It's up to us in our daily lives, all of us as Christians, to reach out into the world and to proclaim the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ and let them see the love of Jesus through us. Reaching them with the graciousness of God. Helping them in the love of Jesus Christ. I was around a group of men yesterday and every opportunity I had, I was telling them about Jesus. I was only around them for an hour, but I had an hour to tell them about Jesus. These were men and women in law enforcement, which I dearly love with all my heart. And for that time, I had that moment. And it was only that moment. It was only that time that I had. So me, not as a pastor, but a man of God that is concerned about the loss to tell them about Jesus. But if my life and my heart is not walking with Jesus Christ himself, then how can I be an effective witness for him? We search out and we seek to try to find the understanding. If you love your family and if you say you love your family and if you really do love your family, you'll tell your lost family about Jesus. If you're truly a born-again Christian, you will take the opportunity to convey the gospel to whoever it is. You will live it in your own life. You will admit it with your own heart. You will give it to the mere existence of everybody that is around you. Because if you and Jesus Christ are walking in accordance to the gospel of Jesus that has saved you, that you say that has saved you, if you have found that appointment, if you have come to that agreement by accepting God's grace in His Son and His Son alone, you can't do nothing but want to tell people about Jesus Christ. And that's what this message is about. It's about showing to you of a quick overview of what was going on with Amos in Israel and what was taking place and what was happening. But here, let's see what the Word of God has to say. Verse 10. At this particular time and date in history... We're concerned about people and their opinions and their influences over us. Amen. Just listen to me. Let's see what the word of God has to say about evil people and their authority. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. The power of God and of Christ is greater than a man. Doesn't matter what authority they have over you. Doesn't even matter if it's an ungodly, unruly mom or dad. They don't have ultimate authority over you as a child of God. Do you realize how many children are in this world that are saved and their parents aren't? And because the parents aren't, they take out their unrighteousness on their children? Do you not understand that? Have you never seen that? Where the children are suffering because of their faith and the lack of the faith of the parents is bringing the suffering on their children? It's everywhere, but it's for naught. Listen, it will not last. It may rain for a season and a time, but it will not last. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. It doesn't matter what they do. What ungodliness and the unrighteousness of man at any level, in any application of any way, it has no binding effect on the eternal state by which we will live our life. It means nothing. They control a flesh. A flesh. Or they try to. They influence the flesh. Or they try to. The eternal state of a born again Christian is not held captive by the actions of men and women and the unrighteousness of man. But it is found in the binding favor of God through Jesus Christ and the faith that we put in Him. That's where faith is found. Verse 11, it says, "...the counsel of the Lord standeth forever." What God tells you. How God leads you. What God says to you. Oh, are you ready? What God promises you. Everything is out of heaven. It is of blessed assurance. It stands on its own authority. It is not watered down by man's opinion. It is not diverted by man's divisions. It has been brought together by an indwelling spirit that lives within us. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Generations. The thoughts of God's heart to every generation. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that my God did not go to the generation and having faith into my parents' generation, and after that they stopped because then I would be outside of that. I'm glad that God loves every generation. No matter how we identify them, no matter what we want to put on them, no matter how we want to complain against them, no matter how we want to call them hard-headed or rebellious, whether you was born in 1920 or 2020, we're all hard-headed. We're all hard-hearted. We can blame the other generation for everything that's been done, but I can tell you right now, it's the patriarchs of faith is the one that's failing the nation and the people, and we're the ones that need to be standing up, affirmed by grace, and proving to the next generation whether we're 100 or whether we're 10, and we stand affirmed in the grace of Almighty God, and we do what He tells us to do, because then two can walk together and be conjoined. This is what the country needs. This is what our homes need. Amen. I have never seen such a division take place in our homes except over the last 7-8 months. It's been amazing to see how Christian homes have been divided and we use the excuses of the world. We complain about the things that are going on and the world has no influence over the Christian heart and the Christian home. Because they have no authority. If we let Satan in, it's because we unlocked the door. It's not because he just walked in. It's because we chose to let him in. It's the effects of sin. It's the effects of the nature of man that is coming inside of our homes. But you know, praise be glory to God. I have a really good friend of mine that him and his family went through early in this and they had different things going on. And he told me, he said, Pastor, he said that was the best thing that could have happened to me and my wife. He said we spent over a month together and he said that God brought so much healing to our home. He says my wife and I have never been as close as we have ever been in all the years that they had been married. And that time was about 10 years. He said we actually are in love with one another. All of the things that had taken place in our life that had caused an indifference in our relationship, he said all of those things were washed away. And he said, God unified our hearts together because we spent this time together. So don't think it's just negative. Let God bless you as God needs to bless you. Let's look at verse 12. Are you ready? Bless it. If you write in your Bible, write happy because that's simply what it is. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. How many nations, brothers and sisters, can we look at across this globe, this world that we live in? How many nations can we effectively see and identify and tag as happy? Any nation. I don't care which nation it is. Pick any nation out of the world. Doesn't matter how big or how small. How many nations are happy? They're not ultimately happy because God is not their king. They're not happy because they're divided by religion. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have the opinions of man. You have the willful ways of God, and you have the willful ways of man. It's causing the division. People can't come together. We cannot be unified. And I don't care what anybody says. You say we look for inclusiveness, we're looking for unity. I say you want control. There's a big difference in that and what I'm talking about you may think you know what I'm talking about but you need to understand what I'm saying today is I'm talking about the hearts and the minds of the individuals living in a house. I'm talking about us conclusively conclusively living together and I'm talking about us being happy. I'm talking about blessed is the nation the psalmist says whose God is the Lord. Why are our houses in such disarray? I'll tell you right now, if you're truly a born-again believer, you ain't letting God in. You've done kicked Him out. So many Christians, and listen, I know we all have bad days. Every one of us does. We wake up sick. We wake up tired. We wake up exhausted. We may get a little snippy with one another. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a lifestyle where everybody's grumpy. I'm talking about a lifestyle where nobody can get along. I'm talking about a lifestyle where we say that we love one another, but it's done with fangs and blood and it's not done in loving grace. And Christians say, well, pastor, I don't know what's going on. I hear this all the time. Trust me, you may not know this, but I talk to a ton of people in this, in this country that we live in, in other states and in this community, and it's like, pastor, our house is such a disarray. What's going on? First, are you a Christian? Right. Then the second question I ask is, are you letting Christ in? Are you letting Jesus into your home to author your home? Are you letting Christ into your home to be the reign and the king that he needs to be? You want happiness, you want joy, you want fulfillment in your salvation. The only way to have it is to live it in Jesus Christ. That's what the psalmist is saying that a nation, a family, it doesn't matter what it is, that we are supposed to be together. And the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Oh, my goodness gracious wow exactly what i've just been saying we can look at a nation and we can look at the individual people and here we are happy when jesus christ is reigning in our life y'all getting that y'all knew people like that and they call themselves christians use this text form quickly verse 13 the lord looketh upon heaven or looketh from heaven he beholdeth all the sons of men From the places of His habitation, He looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. Are you glad today? No, you're not. Come on. Are you glad today that God looks from heaven and He's not singled you out not to pay attention to you? Whether you're saved or you're lost, but from heaven He's looking at all mankind. He's looking at the righteous for our righteousness. He's looking at the lost for the salvation of Christ that can be in them. He's looking for the welfare of all of us. He keeps us safe. He keeps them safe. The Lord God does what He does because He has love. He has the agape love of God. He has the compassion of Christ. And He worries and is concerned about people. Verse 15, He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all the works that they do. There is no king saved by the multitude of a host. A mighty man is not delivered by much string. Man, let me tell you what. I don't care who sits in the White House, the Brown House, the Orange House, the State House, the City House, the County House. I don't care who they are or what they are. They are not above the authority of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what the text is telling us. There is no man, no woman in any position in this world that they can think that they are greater than God. Even in their own minds, they're full of foolishness. Verse 17, a horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Y'all got that? You say, Pastor, how do I know if you're saved? You know because of the day that you were saved in Jesus Christ... You completely become the most vulnerable person that you could have ever been. When you said, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my heart and my life and save me. At that moment, you was the most vulnerable that you have ever been in your life. And you conceded to the power and love of God. And you opened your heart in a way that you have never done before. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Upon them that hope in His mercy. Does anybody in here need mercy today? To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Jesus is able. He's not capable. He's able. Capable shows doubt. Ability shows power and authority too. There's a great difference between those two. It doesn't matter if pestilence or famine falls on the land. God will take care of His people. You may have never shot a gun or killed an animal, but when you need to feed your family, you're willing to learn something new and to take care of them. You may not know how to cook venison or... Or or squirrel brains or anything else that's out there that you're going to learn on Google Net but I can tell you right now when your family is hurting when God brings that animal in front of you when God gives you the ability to take care of your animal you may be an animal activist 30 seconds before but when that blessed appearance comes in front of you and you pull that trigger and that beast falls to the ground and you begin to devour its flesh you will give God all the glory and the mighty hand of praise to Him because it was him that sent it. It was him that gave you the power to kill it. And by God's blessings, you was able to eat it. Amen. Y'all need to pay attention to what I'm telling you. I'm not just a little, I'm not just a pastor of some little church off the secondary road in Berkeley County, West Virginia. I'm a man of God. I know what the word of God means. I know what listen. I read the end of the book. Amen. I read the beginning of the book. I read up to the middle of the book. May have forgot most of what I read, but I read it. <laughs> but simply what I'm saying is, is that I know that the Jesus that saved me in 1984 is the same Jesus that is sustaining me in 2020. It's going to take me to heaven. Quickly. deliver their souls from death and keep them alive in famine, our soul waiteth for the Lord. Is your soul waiting for the Lord? Are you getting ahead of God? Is anybody here getting ahead of God today? Are you trying to push too far ahead? Are you trying to get ahead of Him in your life? Are you asking God for things that maybe He doesn't want you to have? Are you begging God for things that you shouldn't need? Or are you begging God? Or matter of fact, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you ready? I'll go over a couple minutes over, but you'll be alright. Understand this. Are you sitting there telling God that He's not giving you what you think you deserve? Mm. Come on now. I believe every Christian can say amen to that. I can say amen to that. Come on. Amen. Come on. Amen. amen. We all been there. We've all done that. Come on now. Let's just a couple more minutes. Our soul waited for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. But if you don't wait on God, then you're out there on your own. Any Christian in this room ever got ahead of God and once you got ahead of God and you messed everything up, you went, Lord, would you get me out of this? Come on, amen. For our heart, come on now, for our heart shall rejoice in Him. Our heart, our stability, our faith, our blessedness, our anxieties, our hopes, our our points of nervousness, our desires of future. All of these things that we have, all the things that we say that we want, our heart shall rejoice in Jesus. Do you remember where Israel was at and what Amos said? Do you remember some of the judgment that he brought forth? They was all worried about the fancy beds and the fancy furniture and the fancy foods. And it still didn't get them out of the authority of God's judgment. Because we have trusted in his holy name. Have we? Have we as an individual? Have we as parents? Have we as children, as a nation, have we trusted God or is our faith in man? Because we trust in his holy name. Finally, verse 22. Let thy mercy. You want to know what mercy means here? Let thy loyal love. Let thy loyal love. O oh Lord be upon us Lord let your love be on me Lord let your compassion be upon me Lord let the the love of Christ the love of God the power of mercy of eternity state let all of these things let the loyal love of God that man does not possess Lord let your loyal love let your compassion let your understanding let who you are be unto me O Lord This is what the psalmist is saying. This is is not a cry of mercy. This is a cry of endearment. This is a cry of submission. This is a cry of heart. This is not just a cry of need. This is not a prayer that you pray when you only need something. This prayer here the psalmist offers us in verse 22, he just simply says, let thy loving mercy, O Lord, let it be upon me. Let it be according as we have hoped in you. Of who we trust you to be. Of who we know that you are. Lord God, you are greater than us. We can only love you because you first loved us. We can only worship you because you first saved us. We was only saved because you drew us. Because within ourselves we had did not have enough thought of righteousness to seek out the greatness of God and the love that you have, have given to mankind. If you were saved, it wasn't you. You and yourself was going to do nothing but spend eternity in heaven hell and even though his love for you was greater than even our love for ourselves and jesus says that unless i draw you unto myself why because we within our own natural flesh will not have enough righteousness to seek anything much less god that's where the world is at Whether you believe it or know it, that's where the world, and it's always been there. This is not something that is exclusive to 2020. This is something where the world has been at since the fall of man. But brothers and sisters, Sister Jill, this is the time to let the gospel reign. This is the time where we stand up affirmed and we tell people about Jesus Christ. When you see people that are, that are so scared and worried about physical death. And you see them. I see them. You see people in the community and, and it's amazing at where these people are at. And they're just they're afraid of something that they can't see. But they're afraid also of someone that they know that they need. You step into the gap between flesh and spirit and you prove to them that the power of grace is mightier than the power of a disease or the power of anything that man has filtrated through this world to captivate people. Hold on to the grace of God. Hold on to Jesus Christ and tell the world that Jesus is alive and He will remain the King of kings and Lord of lords. Walk with a sword of faith. Walk with hope. And the last thing I'm going to tell you, Brother Jonathan, come on up. The last thing I'm going to tell you, don't you ever, don't you ever think that because you attend a church of this size that we are limited of the influence of the gospel in a person's life. Somebody from a church much larger than this is not the person that has to be there for them to tell somebody about Jesus. It doesn't matter of the size of the church. It matters the size of the heart of the individual Christian that he or she is willing to tell a lost person about Jesus Christ. So don't listen to the lies of Satan. Don't listen to your own hearts. Listen to Jesus Christ. Tell the gospel to your children. Tell the gospel to your parents. Tell the gospel to your spouse. Tell the gospel to your co-workers. Tell the gospel to somebody sitting beside of you because they may be lost sitting here today. Jesus is King and Lord. And I have put my life and my faith in His capable hands. And as I have done that through the capability by which I have entrusted, He has given me the peace that man can never give. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher. I'm going to heaven because I was a sinner in need of Jesus. And Jesus said, Scott, you're dying and going to hell and you need me to save you. And I said, Amen, Lord Jesus. That's where my call comes from. Where's yours? As you stand. Where's the love of God in your heart today? Where's the passion of Christ today? What is the desires and the needs of your heart today? What decision do you need to make today?